As a movie star, Michael Caine has had an exciting life. But one night in the 60s, he was tired of it. Every night, he and his friend Paul would go to the discotheques in London. They partied the night away. But one night, for whatever reason, he had had enough. He said, Paul, let's do something tonight that we've never done before. Let's stay in and watch television. So they go back to his flat. They're watching TV. The commercials come on. And there she is. Michael Caine says he was instantly in love. He was in love with the girl on the Maxwell House commercial. <laughs> he deduced that she was Brazilian. And he said, Paul, tomorrow we're going to Brazil and we're going to find that girl. Let's go get a drink. <laughs> so they went to a club. They got a drink. A friend of theirs came in and said, what, no girls tonight? No, I'm in love with the girl that I saw on the television, and I'm going to Brazil tomorrow to find her. Well, I was watching TV tonight, too. Who was the girl? She wasn't on a show. She was in a commercial for coffee. We make that commercial. Well, I'm going to Brazil to find that girl. She's not in Brazil, Michael. She lives on Fulham Road in London. And she's not Brazilian, she's Indian. Her name's Shakira Box, and here's her number. <laughs> he called her. She wouldn't go out with him. <laughs> he called her the next night. She still wouldn't go out with him. Night after night after night, he called her, and night after night, she said no. On the 10th or 11th night of this, Michael Caine is holding the phone in his hand. He's about to dial. And he says to himself, if she doesn't go out with me tonight, I'm never calling her again. He makes the call. And she says, yes. Michael Caine says, He's had the happiest 40 years of his life being married to Shakira. And what marriage advice does Michael Caine give to others? <laughs> I quote, you must have two bathrooms. It's absolutely essential. <laughs> I love that story. But here's the thing. What if you can't afford to have two bathrooms? <laughs> what if the love of your life doesn't fall into your lap? What if you persevere but don't land the job or the romance or the life you've always dreamed of? And what if it gets worse than that? What if life is actually out to get you? What if your boss is a no-good, rotten scoundrel who makes your life miserable? What if forces outside your control are ready to devour your dreams? We all have seasons of life when it seems that things could not get any worse. When those times come, what does that say about our relationship with God? How do we pray? How do we even put one foot in front of the other? 
Those are the issues we're going to wrestle with today. Today we're going to crack open David's journal to see how he dealt with these things. David was a man who had simple beginnings. He grew up on a farm. He became a great warrior, saving the country of Israel in a famous battle with Goliath. From there, he became a decorated general and later became king of Israel. We can't be sure when David wrote Psalm 27 because there were multiple times in his life where the things he describes happened to him. All of us will face huge problems in our life. But none of us will probably face what David did. I'm not aware that any of us have been personally chased down by an army. We certainly have veterans in our congregation and current members of the armed forces who have been through horrible things that they may never share with another person. And they may have been pursued by an army as part of another army. But David's trials were a step above that. He had been singled out. Armies of thousands chased after him. He was the only one they wanted. He was hunted like Osama bin Laden in the wilderness of the Middle East. And this happened to him twice. The first time Saul, the king of Israel, and David's father-in-law, sent an army of 3,000 elite troops to hunt down David. There's nothing David had done to Saul. David had saved Saul's country in battle, been a great general and warrior for him. Yet in spite of that, Saul sends out these 3,000 troops playing this game of cat and mouse in the wilderness, an army of 3,000 chasing David and his 600 men. Eventually, Saul killed himself in battle with the Philistines. So that went away. David became king, and everything's going great. But then there was a coup. This time, it was not just an army of 3,000 that hunted David as he fled Jerusalem. It was the entire army of Israel. And once again, this coup was not led by a stranger, but by a member of David's own family. This time, he was hunted by his own son, Absalom. From hideout to hideout, David went When Absalom finally caught up, 20,000 men died in that battle. David came out on top. Leading up to that battle, David explicitly told his men, Whatever you do, do not kill Absalom. Yet in spite of that, one of his men knowingly disobeyed that order and killed David's son. And when this news reaches the king, he falls apart, wishing that he had died in Absalom's place. If we left church today and went home and at the front door were driven from our own homes at gunpoint by a son or father-in-law or father, that would be an awful thing. How did David deal with these catastrophes? David looked at the light and his message to us is, Go out of your way to look at the light. Or to put it another way, the first thing David does is name reality. He does not deny reality, but looks it squarely in the face. 
Even before he names his reality, he names God's reality. Before he mentions any of the armies that are hunting him, before he mentions any of his family or friends who have betrayed him, he says in verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It is no small thing that David names his that names God's reality before he names his own reality. In doing so, he is telling himself, history will come and go. Threats to me and my life will ebb and flow. But God's character and his care for me will not. He's reminding himself and telling us, the ultimate reality of my life is not my circumstances. The ultimate reality of my life is that I know God. I know his character, who he is. And I can trust that he will take care of me. It's important to note that David does not deny his circumstances. But he says that his circumstances are not the only component of reality. He knew that there is more going on than what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears and comprehend with our mind. And the specific way he says this in this psalm is in verse 1. The Lord is my light. Light allows us to see reality. It gives us depth perception. It helps me to know how far my hand will go before it touches my prayer book. It shows us color. It lets us know how to move and operate in relation to the things outside of us. And likewise, a lack of light will severely hinder our ability to see reality rightly. When I was in high school, I'd practice shooting baskets at the basketball hoop all the time. We had a basketball hoop in our driveway, and some afternoons, I'd be out there for hours on end. I could move around the driveway, make almost any shot I wanted to. But then as the sun set and dusk came and it got darker and darker, all of a sudden, I'm still shooting and the ball's bouncing back at me. It's hitting the rim. It's falling short, not even touching the net. It's going over top the hoop. But had reality changed? The basketball net was still in the same place. Reality had not changed. Only my perception of reality. David is saying in verse 1, The sun may set on my circumstances. These are things I never thought I would face in life, but in the midst of this, I will not know reality through what my eyes can see. I will know reality through the light of God. Simply put, the light of God is the most reliable and realistic picture of reality. It is reality based on the character of God. The light David sees is God's character. Would you look at the psalm in your bulletin with me? Look at verse 1. David does not say, the Lord will light my path. He says, the Lord is my light. Do you see that subtle difference? 
He does not say, the Lord will give me light. The Lord will shine a light for me and show me where to go. He says, the Lord is my light. There are certainly other places in the Bible where we know that God will direct our path. Psalm 119 tells us that God's word is a light illuminating the path before us. But that isn't what David's saying here. He isn't saying God will show me the way to go. God will turn on a light to show me what reality is. God is the light. It's him. It's his character. And the knowledge of his character will provide the light that David needs to see reality rightly. In essence, he's saying, the Lord is the one that radiates the light that shows me what is enduringly real. Yes, the armies around me are real, but they will not be real forever. Long after they go, whatever they do or don't do to me, the Lord will still be real. His love and care for me, his provision, his character, both now and when the next catastrophe strikes that I never anticipated, and when I am lying dead in the ground, and when I spend eternity with him, the Lord is my light. Understanding that is the key to understanding this psalm. And the key to understanding how David made it through these trials. Let's look back at the text. What is the first thing that David asked God for? If you were in David's shoes, what would you ask for first? I would say, God, save me from my enemies. Get me out of here. Make these armies go away. But look at the first thing David asked for. It's in verse 5. One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? Verse 6, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. The first thing David asked for is to see God. David knows it's getting dark outside and it's getting confusing. But he knows If I can see the Lord, that will provide the light I need to see reality rightly. He wants to see God's character. He wants to see who God is. Let's take a quick tour through the rest of this psalm as God answers David's prayer to see who God is. In verse 7, David describes what he sees in the Lord. In the day of trouble, he shall keep me safe in his shelter. Why? Because he cares for me. That's who he is. David doesn't say, he'll take my trouble away. He says, he will keep me safe in the midst of trouble. He goes on in verse 8. Even now, he lifts up my head. He encourages me and gives me hope and confidence, even with all my enemies around me. This leads David to worship in verse 9. To pray for God's mercy in verse 10. And then David reveals to us more of who God is and how he works in these situations. Verse 11. You speak in my heart and say, seek my face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. He senses God saying to him, look at me. 
Look at who I am. Go out of your way to look at the light that I am. And as David is looking at this light, he sees one of the more amazing things about God in verse 14. Though my father and mother forsake me, he could have added, though my son forsake me, the Lord will sustain me. It's one thing to, let, to have evil people or scoundrels let you down. It's quite another to have people you absolutely trusted betray you. Julius Caesar was famously murdered by his own Senate. And when he realizes that his dear friend Marcus Brutus was one of the conspirators, one of his betrayers, he says, you too, Brutus? Julius Caesar had the easy way out. It's less painful to die than living with the searing pain of betrayal. And David in the psalm tells us, the most foundational people in our lives may betray us and walk out on us, but God is the one person who never will. Look at the light. And as the psalm closes, David places a choice before us. To look at the light that the Lord is, to have that shape our vision of reality, or to be consumed with the circumstances our eyes see. In verse 17, he says, What if I had not believed? You can almost hear him saying, What if? I don't even want to think about this. My faith in God, looking and seeing who he is, that's made all the difference. And then in an exhortation to himself and to us, he says, Tarry and await the Lord's pleasure. Be strong, and he shall comfort your heart. Wait patiently for the Lord. I'm not exaggerating when I say that sometimes waiting 10 minutes is a stretch for me. You know, on a good day, I can muster up the patience to wait two or three days. But patience is hard for me. The thing is, sometimes... It could be weeks or years before our situation changes, before the forces that crouch at our door go away. When those times come, while you're waiting, go out of your way to look at the light. Close your eyes if you need to, so that you won't rely on what your eyes are seeing. Meditate on who God is. Return to Psalm 27. Dr. David Lewis knows how important looking at light is. Dr. Lewis is a neuroscientist, he's a Christian, and he's the head of the psychiatry department at Pitt. He describes research that was done about 50 years ago that won a Nobel Prize that helped scientists understand how it is that we see. And specifically, how is it that we have two eyes that both receive light? But when I look at Jack, my two eyes see one Jack. I see one microphone and not two. 
How is it that that's the case? One of the experiments they did to get to the bottom of this is they took animals at different ages and they would close one of the animal's eyes for a period of time and then open the eye back up. When they did that shortly after animals were born, closed one eye, when they opened the eye back up, the animals would have normal vision. When they waited until adulthood, closed one of the eyes, and then opened it back up at a later time, the animals had normal vision. But they found there were critical stages of development where if one eye was closed, it didn't matter how much light that eye received before or after being closed, vision never returned to normal. When life blindsides us and throws us a curveball, it is a critical time to look at the light. When those times come, there is only one thing that we can do. Go out of your way to look at the light.